Good morning. It is a joy to be here, I can tell you for sure. Um, I've met your pastor at the Master's College Extension in Walnut Creek, and he's a very, very kind and generous man. I've met some of your uh, community at the college, um, and everybody that I've met has been kind, and I, I feel like Paul. Paul, you're going to find out he's praying for these people that he's never met before, um, and yet he has this heart to pray for them. Well, I've heard of your church through various people and uh, have had a draw to want to meet more of you and to pray for you. Um, I decided I would preach on prayer because uh, God has been working me over about prayer. Um, do I pray enough? No. I mean, I know preaching on prayer is like preaching on money. As soon as you mention it, everybody goes, oh, let's pray without ceasing. I know I'm not doing that. And uh, so I decided I would preach on prayer, and I decided I would preach exegetically about prayer. Um, that's just kind of how I do it. But there's a lot of passages that we could have picked today. And actually, I was working up a sermon in First Thessalonians and decided... That doesn't sound like this church gateway that I, I was at, and so I can't preach from there. I have to preach from somewhere else, and uh, Colossians came to mind, and it seemed very, very appropriate to preach from the book of Colossians on prayer. Um, Paul is not preaching on prayer. He's not teaching on prayer. Paul is actually praying, and so um, this isn't going to sound like Paul telling us how to pray. This is just Paul modeling a prayer. That's why I titled this sermon A Model Prayer, because um, Paul's not preaching on prayer, teaching on prayer. I'm going to try to exegete how Paul pre teaches and preaches so that I can teach you how to pray the way Paul prayed for this specific church. Uh, that's, that's a mouthful, I know. Um, I actually started looking up what prayer was and I googled prayer. 308 million hits on prayer. And I read some of the definitions that are out there about what prayer is, and um, they are confusing. You could go to Wikipedia and their definition of prayer, and they include um, you could be praying for, to the dead, uh, praying to um, other deities, um, praying to just this invisible force out there to try to get yourself connected to it. Um, and all of the, in all of that definition, obviously, none of it is biblical. We would not say that that was prayer. Um, I have a definition for you. It's by John Bunyan. And he says, Prayer is a sincere and sensible, affectionate outpouring of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God hath promised, or according to his word, for the good of the church, with submission in faith to the will of God. So there you go, that ought to clean it up, what prayer's all about, right? <laughs> um, it can get very, when you're trying to define something that's hard to define, it gets a very long definition. Just let me tell you what I would say prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. It, that's as simple as I can make it. Prayer is communication with God. Now, how do you do that? 
um, try to define how I communicate to my wife. Now, I, I could define that several different ways. Uh, she could tell you, I probably don't do it well all the time, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't pray well all the time either. But prayer is communication. I mean, I can communicate with my wife standing here. I could look over there and she goes, you shouldn't have said that, <laughs> right? And there's this communication that we've had without words, without uh, actually speaking. Well, you can do that with God as well. Um, you can be driving down the street and all of a sudden he just impresses on you something without reading your Bible, without uh, opening the word, without doing anything like that. All of a sudden he's impressing upon you something and you go, oh, there's communication and I need to respond back to this God. And so he's communicating to you, you're communicating to him. Um, Bunyan puts it in uh, according to his promises or according to his word, not, right? Those impressions, communications are going to be something that is a remembrance of his word, a remembrance of his promises, a remembrance of his attributes or character or something like that. But it's going to be this communication based on what you know from his word. And then your response back to him in a communication. And um, there's several aspects that it could include. Um, I listed seven here from Packer. And he says this. Uh, prayer activities could be approaching God in adoration and trust. Acknowledging his work and his worth. In praise and worship. Admitting sin and seeking pardon, asking that needs be met for ourselves or for others, arguing with God for blessing, as uh, wrestling uh, Jacob did this in Genesis 32, accepting from God one's own situation as he has shaped it, that's the submission aspect, or adhering to God in faithfulness through thick and thin. Now, I would say that you don't have to do each of those to be praying you could just do one so you don't have to go through the list and say i have to make sure i'm doing every single one of these to make sure that i'm praying no one of them could be happening um, you could be just asking you could just be repenting of your sin um, any one of these is this communication back with god and it's going to be based on something that he is revealing to you about himself through memories of the word, through even nature, right? I mean, you could look at the sunset and say, wow, a beautiful sunset. God, thank you for making that. Um, and so prayer is just communication with God. Now, as John Bunyan said, you're praying to the Father through the intermediary work of Christ because you can't approach God by yourself. Um, we're too wicked, we're too sinful, even in our saved state, we have too much unholiness to approach this holy God, and so we need to approach him through Christ, and the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so that is the avenue of prayer, we're praying to a specific person through the work of this other person by the power and support of this other person. And so the whole of the Trinity is at work while we're praying. Um, but that's just kind of an idea of what prayer is. 
But how does it work? Well, we have to look at Colossians, and hopefully Paul will unpack this for us. Not hopefully, he will. But as we do, let me just warn you, uh, Paul starts in verse 9, one sentence, that he ends in verse 20. So if it sounds a little convoluted, if I'm rearranging how it's been maybe uh, written in your English Bible, that's because Paul never took an English class where you have to shorten these things down and make them precise sentences that somebody can understand. No, Paul went 218 words before he took a pause. And we're not going to cover them all. We're going to cover a very short portion of them. So um, we may have to rearrange what the English translation is to make sense out of what Paul has said. So let's read it again. Let's read what Paul has written uh, again. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then keep in mind, the sentence continues. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then he starts just laying out this amazing story about Christ, who he is, what he's done, what position he has. Well, that's included in this sentence. We're stopping because, quite frankly, even though you're giving me 50 minutes, he said, um, there's no way I could cover that all in 50 minutes. There's just no way. And um, some of you that have taken classes from me know we go for four hours and we don't finish (laughs) sometimes. So um, I will endeavor to get through just this section that we have started with. But let me approach God again in prayer as we've read the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. Uh, Father, as, as we endeavor to pray better, teach us through what Paul prayed for these Colossians how to pray. Uh, let us mimic him who mimics Christ. Let us act like him who looks most like your son that we can see. And Father, that is those who are gripped by your spirit and live their lives according to your word. And so, Father, as one of your apostles that wrote scripture, let us mimic what he has done. Not so that we can gain a reputation as being a saint who prays well. But, Father, for our own edification, that we may draw near to you in a manner worthy of you. We need to pray better. Why? So that we can enjoy you more. So that we can feel your presence and be in that relationship. We're your creature. And without your strength, we have no power. 
Without your understanding, we have no knowledge. And so, Father, we are completely in dependence on you. And so, Father, the, the best way that I know to submit to that knowledge is to pray and be dependent on your power through prayer for our very lives. And so, Father, we approach you this morning and ask you to, by the power of your Spirit, open our minds to this Scripture. We know we can't even understand it without your Spirit illumining our minds and helping us to understand. And so, Father, we beg you, because of what Christ has accomplished, and now that he's seated on the right hand, your right hand, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our minds, into this room this morning, that we might be changed by your word, and so be changed to be more like your son. So that when we leave here today, and we go to eat to wherever we go, that those around us would recognize they've been with Christ this morning. And they've been changed. They've been excited by the word. Father, would you do that in us today? Would you do that in me? Even as I preach, would you prick my heart? And Father, would you use the words that you give me to prick the hearts of these people? And Father, change us. We beg you. It's for your glory, and it's for our good, as your saints. Amen. Amen. Well, Colossians, there are four things. I know sermons are supposed to only have three points, but I'm going to have four this morning. Why? Because Paul has four. Um, there are four things that we're going to discuss about this passage this morning. The first one is this, Paul's request. What is it that he's praying for? And actually, before we can even get there, he says, and so from the day we've heard of you, we've never ceased praying. So there's this context. Why is Paul even praying? I mean, he has a reason for what he is saying. I'm sorry, a request that he is praying. Why does he start with that request? Well, he heard of these Christians. What did he hear? Well, we have to look back at verse 3. It says, we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ. He's heard that they actually are believers. And he's heard that this faith actually, um, and of the love that you have for all the saints. So this faith that were, has worked itself out in love. He's heard that you know, these people believe in Christ and they're loving other people because of it. And not only that, he, that is all based on this hope that they've laid up in heaven. So they've heard of Christ, they believe, and they've laid up their hopes in heaven. And because they've laid up their hopes in heaven, they're loving other people. And Paul says, because I heard of that, I'm going to pray for you. What usually pricks us to pray? Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody's in need of money. Somebody is, uh, you know, their house burned down. We think of all these reasons are the reasons why we should be praying for these people. Paul says, I heard that you're saved. And that your salvation is working out in a good way. And so I decided that I needed to pray for you. What? You mean you could actually pray for a, a believer that is doing something well? Yes, 
You can. And we should be affected to pray because we hear of someone's faith. I could have been praying for you guys, right? Because I've heard of Gateway Bible Church and the love that they have for the saints and the things that they're doing and how they're trying to impact their community. And they're doing it well. And so I should have been prompted in my heart to pray for you more. Which is why the Lord's pricking my heart to learn about prayer. Because I can't say that I've prayed without ceasing for this church, as Paul did. But do you see, there is this evidence of God's grace that Paul has seen in other people, and because of that evidence, he decided he would pray. There's this evidence of grace. Do you guys recognize evidence of grace in the lives of other people? Do you look at certain people and you say, you know what? God has control of that person. Can you recognize that when you see them, when you hear about them? You say God must be working in their lives. Well, Paul can. He sees it in people and he hears about it and he, he, he's moved to pray for these people. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians. Paul, all of the sudden has this prompting when he is preaching that he recognizes that these people are saved. Look at 1 Thessalonians, start with chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, uh, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Here it is again. Why? Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor and love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord. Do you recognize those three things from our passage in Colossians? Their faith, their love, and their hope. And then he says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. You are the elect. Because... Um, lost my place <laughs> we know brothers loved by god that he chose you because our gospel came to you not in word only but also in power and in the holy spirit and with full conviction and he's actually talking about himself he's saying when i was among you and i was preaching to you i was gripped by the holy spirit in my proclamation knowing that there must be somebody out there that's elect because God put me on fire to communicate the gospel to you. And I knew in my being that there was somebody out there that was God's child because he lit me on fire to communicate to you. And with full conviction, I brought to you the gospel. But that's not all. He says, and you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. And there he's talking, he's confirming that he's talking about himself. And he says this, and you became imitators of us in the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and with joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, so not only was I gripped, but I saw only what the Holy Spirit can do in the lives of people. You were changed. You were moved. And so Paul has this ability to recognize in himself when somebody is there, out there, that it must be a chosen one of God. 
he is lit on fire. And not only that, but he recognizes in them when they are the elect because they respond in a certain way. Oh, but Paul is an apostle and he has special privileges from God, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. Have you ever shared your testimony with somebody or had somebody share their testimony with you? And as you're sharing the testimony, you're just excited. And you're sharing this testimony with this person and all of a sudden they're weeping and they're excited about what it is you're sharing. That's the same experience Paul's talking about here. It's the same one. And you get to have it, not just Paul, not just this special category of apostle, but you get to have it. And when you have it, it should ignite your heart to thanksgiving to God to pray. Just like he's praying for the Thessalonians here and just like he's praying for those in Colossae. So let's go back to Colossians. That's why he's praying for the Colossians. He said, I heard about them, and I recognized the Holy Spirit alive in them, and it drew me to decide to pray for them. But what did he pray? What was his request? His request is this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's got one request, really. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. What's the question most we hear most often from Christians? I wonder if this is the will of God for me. I wonder if it's really God's will that I do this or I do that or I do this thing. What's God's will for my life? Right? I mean, have you ever asked that question? Well, Paul's prayer is that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. In other words, that you would know for certain what God's will is for your life. That's what Paul is praying when he's praying for the Colossian believers. I want you to know what the will of God is for your life. Well, to answer your question on the will of God, I want to show you some of the things that I think are the will of God. Now, first of all, God's scripture, his revealed will, is where you'll find it, right? Right? <laughs> I'm just making sure. <laughs> um, that's the only place you can find it. Now, you can be prompted while you're away from his word about things that are going on and say, you know, this seems like it would be God's will. And then you confirm that by saying, is, does that in accord with Scripture? Is it, is it in accord with what I know from God's character and his attributes and from what he has revealed? Well, yes, it is. Well, okay, then I've confirmed that that's the will of God for me. But there are six things that God mentions in the New Testament that he specifically says, this is the will of God. And if you worked on these six things, everything else I think would fall together. So let's look at the first one. The first one is this. The will of God for your life found in 1 Peter 2, uh, 13 to 15 is to do good while being subject to human institutions, the government. You are to do good. You are to benefit your community in submission 
to the authorities in the government over you? That's the first one. Do we do that? Do we try to benefit our communities? Do we try to help our governments benefit our communities? Are we involved? If we're not, we are leaving off one of the things that God has put directly in Scripture to say, this is my will for Christians. Every single one. So we should be doing good in our communities in accord with what the government is doing in our communities. The second one is this. It's found in Ephesians 6.6. Working hard in secular vocations as unto the Lord. We just work hard in your job. Um, you should be the hardest worker in your job. Right? Because you're working as unto the Lord. Non-Christians work for who? Themselves. I only do what will benefit me. And if it doesn't benefit me, then I'm not going to do it. And you should be doing, I will do whatever it takes to bring glory to the Lord in this vocation. Even if it means I have to do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do. Right? So we should be the hardest workers at our jobs. And it's the will of God revealed in Scripture what we're supposed to be doing. Here's another one in Hebrews 10.36. It says we're to endure hardship and persecution. Now, we don't really endure the hardship and persecution that Paul's really talking about because he's talking about being stoned, being whipped, being cast out into the sea, being thrown out of the synagogue. I mean, what, what's the worst that we have to do, deal with? You, are you serious? You're really a Christian? Are you simple-minded? What's the matter with you? Come on. That's foolish. Maybe be made fun of. Oh, you're goody two-shoes, right? They're dealing with scourges in their days. We're dealing with lashes of the tongue. I mean, I know that hurts and all that kind of stuff, but in comparison, really, we have nothing to complain about. We live in a country that gives us lots of latitude. The worst that happens to us is we're called names. Right? But we're to endure that hardship and persecution. It's the will of God. So some of you, are, maybe you're at secular schools. You are to stand out as a Christian and to endure the hardship. That is the will of God for you as revealed in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says to give thanks in everything. No matter what it is, give thanks. He just wants you to be thankful in everything, no matter what it is. That's the will of God for you. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, your sanctification. Or in 1 Peter 4.2, he says uh, that you're no longer to live according to human passions, but you're to be sanctified and live according to the passions of the Holy Spirit. That's the will of God for you. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, it's the will of God for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3, 16 and 17, this being filled with the Holy Spirit is actually changed to being filled with the Word of Christ. So how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Fill yourself up with the Word of God and wait for that power to just ignite you. These are all 
specific passages of Scripture that deal with what is the will of God for you. Well, there's six of them right there. Work on those. And anything else you're wondering, is this the will of God for me, will fall into line as you start working on those. Here's a promise. It's in 1 John 5.14. And John says this. If you ask according to his will, you know that he hears you. So you can pray for these six things and know that God is specifically listening to you. And not only that, but he says this, and you know that you have what you asked for. You know that you have what you asked for. John is saying, if you pray anything according to the will of God, he not only hears you, but you'll have it. So in other words, I could pray that I would do good in my community according to the, go- the governmental uh, policies, and you know what? God will make it happen in my life. I could pray that I would work hard at my secular job and be the hardest worker there and know that he hears me and that he will make me the hardest worker at my job that I would be sanctified, that I would endure hardship, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can pray for all of those six things and know for certain that God is listening and not only know for certain that he's listening, but that I will have it, that it will be mine. We should pray harder according to his will, right? Because it's guaranteed. Well, here's some of the knowledge of his will. Now you have it. But he prays, I want you to be filled with it. I want you to be so full of it that it's just spilling out everywhere. And this is a a divine filling because he's praying that God would fill them. So in other words, you can assist by going to Scripture and reading it, but this is a divine filling, something that happens supernaturally. You need to do some work. You need to get into the word. You need to read it. But you need to be praying that God would overflow you with it so that you can't contain it anymore. In other words, it sounds like you need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, he doesn't leave it there. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in the arena of spiritual wisdom and understanding. So not only do I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this puts it outside of the physical realm. This word spiritual is only used in the New Testament in in a juxtaposition to the flesh, to humanity. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses it to say this is the natural body and then you will get a supernatural body when you've been resurrected and changed and glorified. It's the same word. So you're going to have a material body that is spiritual as opposed to the material body you have now that is natural. And Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in a spiritual arena, not just a physical arena. So in other words, not just what you're hearing from me today, but what is going to be carried along from what you hear from me today by the power of the Holy Spirit to change your mind, to change your heart. In that category. And it's wisdom and understanding. 
Wisdom is the ability to make right choices according to knowledge. And understanding is not only the ability to make those choices, but to understand the consequences of those choices and desire the good ones. Does that make sense? So he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and not only have that knowledge, but to make good choices based on that knowledge and to have full comprehension of why you're making those choices for the good. That is his prayer for you. And yes, I say it's his prayer for you because if he had heard about you, he'd be praying this for you. And so who's actually praying for you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is interceding to God through Scripture for you and me today. What an amazing thought. And he's praying this for you, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, that's his request. Let's look at his reason. Paul has a reason to be praying, too. It's found in the beginning of chapter, um, sorry, verse 10. And he says this, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. There's two reasons, really, that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's pretty simple, right? I don't have to flesh that one out very hard. You'll, your manner of life will be in line with the Lord's. Walk in a manner worthy. The idea of this worthy is actually in comparison to, in contrast with, so that you would um, have a, a, a comparative framework. And what are you compared to? That your walk would be in comparative quality to the Lord's. The Lord's walk. Do, do you hear... Do you hear Leviticus? Do you hear Peter saying, be holy for I am holy or be holy as I am holy? Paul is just reiterating that thing. Your walk, your manner of life will be in line with exactly what Christ's life was. That to me is incredible. Me? I'm supposed to be able to walk like Christ? No way. No way. Why? Well, let me, let me just think about this. Well, Christ was God. Christ was in a perfect body. And I'm supposed to emulate that? Oh, come on, Lord, you're asking far too much. Right? That's what we think. That, I'm just being real. That's what we think. We think like that. But then he says this. He goes, you know what? It's good that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper. And the helper's going to live in you. And it's, you know what? It's that same helper that allowed me to do the things that I did while I walked here. Because Christ was a man who set aside his divine prerogatives and said, I'm going to walk just like they walk. I'm going to be prompted as they are prompted. I am going to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the Word to do the things that my Father has set for me to do. And so I'm going to walk this way. I'm going to earn their righteousness. 
I'm going to die for their sins, and then I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father and send them the same Holy Spirit that was alive in me and allowed me to walk the way that I walked, to live in them so that they can walk in the manner that I walked. And so all of a sudden, God says, you have no more excuse. None. Because the same Holy Spirit that allowed Christ to teach, that allowed Christ to walk in a pure life, is alive in you. He's regenerated your heart. He's changed your affections. And he is prompting you to to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And this idea of fully pleasing, he says, uh, not only do I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but fully pleasing to him is this idea of in your attitude, your desire is to please God. It's, it's not, I want you to walk worthy and um, then he'll be pleased with you. No, it's this idea of, a, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to order your life in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And in your attitude, everything that you're doing is trying to please him. That is what is going to be a life that is worthy. Because that's, that's what Christ did, right? When he walked around here, he says, I, I want to do just what the Father is showing me to do. I want to be with, with the Father. I want to be in fellowship with the Father. I want to please him. Everything that I do, I do to please him. Well, that's what it, Paul is telling you to do. Live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord, attempting to please him in everything that you do. Now, if, if we just listen to that, would our lives change? be a little bit different when we're tempted we would go oh you know what that doesn't please the lord so it doesn't matter what my flesh wants right i mean if we just had that thought in our mind i just want to please god well then i can't do these things why because it doesn't please god well you're just being legalistic no i'm not i'm wanting to please god i mean don't we do that with our human relationships or husbands Do you try to please your wife? Are you being legalistic when you do that? Or are you just trying to love her? Wives, when when you're loving your husbands and you're you're trying to, you know, I'm going to make his favorite dinner just to see the smile on his face. Right? It's that type of pleasing. I just want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and I want to see him smile. And that's my motivation for walking in a manner worthy. Well, that's the reason he prays, because he wants your life to be like that. Different. Different than it is. Because, unfortunately, I don't think our lives are lived out that way all the time. That's why Paul had to pray for the Colossians. That's why you should be praying for me. That's why I should be praying for you. Well, Charlie, how do you know if your prayer is working? Because there's the people's response. There's three participles that follow this this reason that Paul prays, and, and these four participles speak directly to the response of that answered prayer. When the prayer is answered, these four things will be going on in your life. These four things. You'll be bearing fruit. 
You will be increasing in your knowledge of God. You will be being strengthened and you will be giving thanks. Those four things. Do you see those four things in people? When you see those four things in people, you know somebody's been praying for them. If it's not only Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then what? I can join with what Christ and the Holy Spirit are doing and pray for them that that would increase. That would continue. Because that's what Paul is doing. He didn't meet these people. He heard of the grace of God working in their lives. And he said, I want to join what God is doing. And I'm going to pray for those people that God will continue to do what he's doing in their lives already. So the people's response is bearing fruit. But it's not just bearing fruit, right? It's bearing fruit in every good work. Everything that you're doing that is a benefit, you will bear fruit in. Even if it's doing good to your community in submission to the authorities, you'll be bearing fruit in that. Even if it's doing good while you're being persecuted or, or made fun of, you can bear fruit in that. And you're increasing in the knowledge of God. You're being increased. This is a passive verb. And so it's this idea of I'm being hit with the ball. Uh, my, in, my knowledge of God is, is somehow being increased without my work. It's just happening. Well, how is that happening? Well, first of all, it's not knowledge of his will anymore. Do you notice the difference? The first one, he says, I want you to be full of the knowledge of his will. That's kind of an abstract thing. You're going to find that in the word. And when you're full of the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and you're living in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, trying to please him in all that you're doing, you're increasing your knowledge of God, the person, in how he interacts with you. See, as you try to actively do things, God is going to comfort your heart. He's going to encourage your heart. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you power. And you're going to, in response to all of this, know God better on a personal level. Not just theological concept of who God is. But you're actually going to know Him intimately. And that knowledge is going to continue to increase. And yet it starts now by the way, not in glory, not after you die and you're in eternity. Paul's praying for the Colossian believers as they were walking and talking and living now and expecting that these things would happen to them today, that day that he was praying for them. And so they're going to increase in the knowledge of God and then they're going to be strengthened. Now, you can't be strengthened any more than this. You're going to be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Is there anything stronger than that? No, there's not. And you're going to be strengthened with all power according to His might. How, what for? What's the purpose of it? It's this. For all endurance and patience. So you're going to have the, the creative power of God that he spoke the world into existence in your life so that you can endure any circumstance he puts you in. Anyone. 
It doesn't matter what it is. You will have the strength and the power that comes from God alone in your life to submit to it and stand under it no matter what it is. How did those first century Christians stand up to the persecution and the the ghastly things that were done to them? This is how. They had the power of the Almighty God working in them so that they could stand under it no matter what it was. And the other, so that's just the endurance and patience is with people. So not only can I stand in any circumstance, but I can deal with any people, no matter what they're doing to me. Not exploding on them. Do you need that strength? I need it more often than I'm praying for it for myself. And if you're being strengthened with his power, you know you can stand. You should have assurance that, you know what? I can do anything through him who strengthens me. Well, that's not it. That's not all. He's saying, with joy, I want you, you'll be giving thanks. So in the midst of enduring and in the midst of these people and what they're doing, you'll have joy. And you'll be giving thanks. He doesn't say you'll give thanks for this situation. He didn't say you'd give thanks for these people. Listen to what he says you'll give thanks for. He says you'll be with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So in the midst of whatever circumstance, in the midst of whatever anybody's doing to you, you'll have joy that he has reached down and saved you. I don't have to be happy that they're persecuting me. I don't have to be happy that these people are just trying to get on my nerves. What I can be happy about in this situation is that God has saved me and one day this will be no more that I have hope that goes far beyond whatever circumstance and whatever these people happen to be doing. And I can give thanks to the Father for that. Now that transitions us to Paul's rock. Because see, Paul has a rock that he's embedded all of this stuff on, and he's about to unpack it for you now. And it's the gospel. It's no surprise. I know nothing... I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Well, He doesn't veer from that. He's still here. And listen to how He does it. Because we usually think of the Father differently than Paul's going to talk about Him here. He says, you should be giving thanks to the Father. Why? Because He's the one who qualified you. What? Yeah. It's not, it's not this angry God of the Old Testament and this Christ in the New Testament that changes his mind. No, the Father actually qualifies you to share in the inheritance of light. Right? That's what he says. The Father qualifies you. And the idea of this qualified isn't that he's looking around and he says, well, that one's qualified, that one's qualified, that one's qualified, with, with the characteristics that they already have in themselves. He's going, no, I want this one, and I'm going to work the character in them so that they are qualified. 
He's not looking for people who are already qualified. This word has the idea of that he's making them sufficient for it. I am building in them what is necessary so that they are qualified. Really? Well, where am I in this? Well, I'm standing there being worked in by God so that I can be qualified. That's where I am. I'm not really doing a whole lot more than that, according to this passage right here. I'm just kind of standing there, and God the Father is working on me and making me sufficient for salvation. Right? That's what he's talking about. He says, yeah, the Father's going to qualify you. The Father's going to make you sufficient to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do it this way. He's going to deliver you from the domain of darkness. I'm going to take the shackles off of the one who has you chained and deliver you from there. And then I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver you from there and I'm going to transfer you to a different kingdom. Transfer you to a different ruler. And who is that one? Ah, oh, well, he's this one. I'm transferring you to the kingdom of his beloved son. And this beloved son is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's whole prayer is based on this bedrock. What is that bedrock? That God the Father is working so that people will recognize the son as the savior of mankind and the universe. Right? That's what he wants. I want you to recognize my son. Peter, who do people say that I am? Well, they say you're everybody, but who you actually are. Well, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, Peter, you're blessed because flesh and blood did not teach that to you. My father who is in heaven taught that to you. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's transferred you from this domain of darkness into his beloved son. And now you recognize that in me. You would not have recognized that on your own. But now you do, Peter. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it just amazing? And now... Through this recognition, through this salvation, being one of the saints, we can see God at work in the lives of other people and join with what God is doing by praying for them. Not praying that they'd get another house. Not praying that they'd get another car. Not praying that they'd get a job. Not praying that their health would be better. Not praying for any of that kind of stuff. I'm praying that they'd be filled with the knowledge of His will in the arena of spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they make the right decisions, that they're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and that they are in their attitudes trying to please God in everything that they are doing. And when they're doing that, then they'll bear good fruit. They'll increase in a personal knowledge of God. And when they do that, they'll be strengthened with all powers to endure whatever circumstances come on, whatever people might throw at them, and they will with joy, thank God for their salvation. That's what Paul's praying. Is that what we pray?
Is that how we pray? I hope it is after today exactly how we pray. Who cares how we used to? Right? Who cares how hard it was in the past to try to build a prayer life, to try to do those kinds of things? Who cares about that? If there's any sin, if there's any neglect in the past, Christ has borne it. It is gone. And now according to His strength and His might, you can attempt from today on. You can attempt to pray for me that I'd be filled with the knowledge of His will. I can attempt to pray for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will. And we can take this model of prayer and pray it for each other. This side of the room can pray it for that side of the room. This side of the room can pray it for that side of the room. What, what amazing things could happen if God would answer that prayer? If you guys would pray for them and they would pray for you. What would happen in your community? What would happen? Who, who knows what would happen? But wouldn't it be amazing to, to do it and say, we're testing you, God. We're testing you according to your word according to your will, and we know that you'll hear us, and we know that you'll answer what it is that we've prayed for, so we're testing you. Let's see what you'll do. I don't think we've seen God unleash power like he's unleashed power in the past. In our generations, we haven't lived through revivals. We haven't lived through reformations where the Holy Spirit sweeps through a community and changes, just changes people. We've heard stories, right? I mean, I, the, the president of the seminary that I want, went to, he was saved by reading his Bible alone in his room during the Jesus movement. He started reading his Bible to the hippies of that time, and hundreds of people were coming to his house to listen to the Word of God, and they were being changed. He had no training he didn't understand. He thought he was one of the last two witnesses. That's how his theological training was at that point. He said, I've never seen a Christian before. I've never heard anybody ever proclaim this gospel. And he and his brother get saved, and we go, we're the last two witnesses. And they went on a mountaintop to prepare for their ministry as the last two witnesses. Now, luckily, a pastor got a hold of him and started teaching him. <laughs> Right? Because they had some bad theology at first. <laughs> but look what God was doing with these fanatics. That all I need is the word of God and to just start teaching it to whoever. And hundreds of people were. They, they told me that, that they had this house and they had to open the windows because they couldn't pack any more people in the house. And people were standing outside at the windows to listen in. What if this room was packed to its capacity so that we had to open all the doors and people were standing outside the doors just to get a glimpse and, a, and, a, and, a, and to hear maybe a little bit of what God is saying? Would he do that if we started praying this for each other? He might. He could. There's nothing that's restraining him from doing it. So I just ask you, do you want to join God in what he's doing? If you do, look for the grace of God alive in people and start praying for them in this way.
and then it's up to the Lord to do His will. Heavenly Father, as we've opened Your Word, as we've heard from Your Word what it is You'd have for us today, Father, affect us, change us. Let us leave off what is behind and strain to what is tomorrow and to the next day and to the next hour. And let us do what you're calling us to do. It may be, Father, that we close up this room, we pack everything up, and that we find a house to go and start praying. I don't know what you would have us do. But let us be so in tune with your spirit, so gripped by your word that we would do whatever you would call us to do at this moment. And so affect us that we leave today different than what we walked in. Please, I know, Father, I came dry. I came dry. Let us not leave dry. But let us leave overflowing with your word and the, and the spirit in our lives. Change us that we would be prayer warriors for one another, praying this model of prayer and watching for God's grace to change lives. Let us be so moved. For your glory and your glory alone, that Christ may be recognized, that the gospel may be desired we would experience the good that you have for us. Make it so, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.